Hey, C12, how you doing? Yes. Y'all came ready today, didn't you? Yes, how many of you were here last week? Yeah, 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 yeah. I, after last week, I was like, I feel like worshiping tonight. I'm wearing sweatpants. Because I was like, I'm coming ready. And I keep telling you, I'm waiting for some standing on the chairs. I am not kidding. So I came ready tonight. So I hope you are. We're going to close in some worship today. So um, get yourself all right. Everybody got a seat? Getting there? All right. We started last week. Uh, sort of a two-part series on prayer. So we're going to um, get into some of the nitty-gritty of it today. We're going to go into part two, and we're going to get really, really practical. Um, sometimes we do that. For those of you who are new, we kind of start series. We'll start up here like a 30,000-foot view, and then every week we sort of get you know down into the nitty-gritty and the down and dirty of it. And so that's what we're doing today. Um, probably two weeks ago, I was tucking my youngest into bed, Judah, and he is eight years old, and he's quite, well, he's quite a thing. And I was tucking him into bed, and at night we read a Bible story, and he's got this Bible called the Action Bible. Anyone at all familiar with the Action Bible? Okay, a few of you. So if you don't know what it is, let me tell you what it is, because I think you might even be interested in the Action Bible. Uh, the Action Bible is the Bible in sort of... Um, I want to say cartoon form, but don't think cartoon because it's more um, like, like graphic art. I don't even know what the word is. What is it? Like comic book. Is that what it's called? Whatever. Okay, you know what I'm talking about? Like I think the pictures look scary. Like the pictures of the devil and the pictures of, um, you know, the serpent in the garden. And, you know, we read these and I always feel like he's going to have nightmares or something because these are legit legit graphics. And uh, you actually might like it. And I'm not kidding. Like the Action Bible, my 16-year-olds read it six times. Um, you learned a lot of Bible stories in the Action Bible. But the other night we were reading through uh, some things and he always likes to read the scary ones where somebody's, you know, in battle. But this particular night when we were getting done and we were going to go pray every night, we pray together. He said, mom, there's a, there's a story in here that tells us how to pray. And I went, well, I, okay, which particular story on prayer are you talking about? He's like, I'm telling you, it's in here. And so we're flipping through the Bible and we come upon the story, the cartoon where Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray and he leads them through the Lord's prayer. And so Judah says, I think we should pray this every night because this is what my Bible says to do. And so I said, okay. So we said the Lord's prayer together. And then we prayed, you know, our regular prayers. Um, and every night he's been wanting to do that. And it was, re it reminded me as we're flipping through all of the stories, prayer is literally the only thing, the one thing the disciples went to Jesus and said, show us how to do that. They didn't go to him and say, Hey, could you help me be a better preacher? Or could you, could you, Teach us how to do the miracles. If they did, we don't know about it. It's not recorded. They didn't even go to him and say, hey, well, you know when we were in the boat and the storm came and you took a nap? How does that happen? Nothing. How did you take the Long John Silver's meal and turn it into a meal for 20,000 people? We don't even read of them asking how or wanting to learn those secrets. You know, if I'm them, I'm saying, hey, that whole come back to life thing, how do you do that? None of it. All we read about is that they go to him and say, teacher, rabbi, teach us how to pray. 
Because I wonder if they knew that all of those other things only happened because Jesus prayed. Because of his intimate connection with the Father. It was only through that they would see him go away alone, spend time with the Father in prayer, and then come back from that and something extraordinary would happen. And then he would go away and spend time with the Father and then he would come back and something else would happen that would blow their minds. And I think they started to put two and two together and go, okay, we don't need to know about all that. What we need to know is what you do when you go away and talk to the Father. And Jesus taught them how to pray. This whole thing of prayer, I think we have the best of intentions with prayer. I really, really do. I don't think our problem isn't isn't that we don't want to pray or that we don't intend to pray. It's that we just don't pray. We have the best of intentions. And when I talk to people and say, how's your prayer life? Well, it should be better. I mean, we want it to be better. We intend for it to be better. And then sometimes we even build somewhat of a plan to make it better. Well, I'm going to get up, you know, 30 minutes earlier, or I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do such and such, and I'm going to pray, and it's going to make my time with the Lord better. Ever made those decisions, those goals? Yes, of here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do it. And then somewhere along the way, the alarm goes off, and you go, I'll do it tomorrow, right? Tomorrow. I mean, Jesus won't care. You know, I mean, he's still going to be there, right? He won't care. Sometimes there's a thousand miles between our intentions and our actions. So many things we intend to do but don't. I have a whole bunch of stuff at my house that I intended to do something with that I don't. Like I have a pair of running shoes. Oh, no, no. I was like, so my husband, Jeff, he's a runner. He ran cross country back in school. He's a runner. He can go out and run miles and miles and miles. It makes me nauseous that he can do this. But he can do this. And so I was like, I could be a runner. I'm going to be a runner. Now, if I'm going to be a runner, I need the gear. I'm always about the gear. So I go to the running store that sells the running shoes where they look at your feet and they figure out the best shoe for your foot. And they're like, walk across. I'm like, yep, watch my feet because I'm going to be a runner. You tell me. Tell me what shoes I need. I mean, I had all the clothes, all the things. But I had the app and the things that would tell me what to do and how to run and the music and the playlist and all the things. And I ran for three weeks and decided this is hell. This this is terrible. This is the worst idea I've ever had. I'm not doing this. Do you know why? You don't beat anyone. You don't, there's no points. Like you don't, and you end up exactly where you started from. You, you make no progress. You go nowhere. You're sweating. It's boring. And you keep, and you're supposed to keep running longer distances. Why do I want to keep running longer distances for nothing? For nothing. I don't get a trophy. I get nothing. I don't even get to look at someone and go, you lost it. I, would. I didn't get to do that. So I quit. But I have the shoes. And they look brand new. Uh, I have some of those things. Maybe you have some of those things where you thought you were going to do it. And you made a goal to do it. And you thought, I'm going to get all A's. Or I'm going to go, you know, I'm going to start this exercise program. Or I'm going to have this discipline. Or I'm going to develop this habit. Or whatever it is. And then it just sort of, like, went away. You have a lot of intentions that don't turn into actions. And sometimes I think our intentions actually, sometimes we get a little motivation. Right? You come in here to C12 and you meant to get up early this week and pray. You meant to spend some time with the Lord this week, but you didn't. But then you know Thursday night's coming and you're going to come in on Thursday night. It's going to be like a little bit of a locker room. Did you see that? 
my voice literally just went away. Was that you guys? No? Okay. I'm like, are they, are they muting me? Like, are you muting me? Okay, 30-second delay. Okay. Um, no, like you come in for like a Thursday night locker room pep talk, right? And it feels good and you're inspired and you're going to go out and you're going to do the thing that you didn't do this last week, but you're going to do it this week because now you're motivated for your intentions. None of you? You're all looking at me like, no, we literally do everything we ever intend to do. Right? Is that, is that what's happening? Okay. Bunch of liars. Like, no, no. Does it happen? When the one thing you're working on doesn't become a habit. You know, when I got an iPhone, I thought, you know, my husband told me about all the amazing things that my iPhone does. And he was like, I'm going to teach you how to do all these amazing things that it does. And I was like, that sounds great. I'm going to do all these things. And you know how much of my iPhone I use? Like 10%. I mean, I just, I use texting. You know, I use a couple of apps. But I don't use my iPhone to its max capacity. In fact, I don't know that anyone actually uses an iPhone to its 100% max capacity with all that it can do. You actually have to Google what all your iPhone can do in order to learn the things that it can do. And I think... Prayer can be so much like that. We have the best of intentions to take action and to, and to have this be more a part of our life. And if we just would, then we would gain access to the, all the power of God and all the promises of God and all the intimacy with God. But we really, because of lack of action, only access about 10% of his power. And so we have this, we have this relationship with this God that we say that we serve and we've chosen to follow, and yet we really only tap into a very, very small percentage of the relationship until something bad happens, right? Until something goes wrong, until something isn't what we want it to do, and then we're all in. And then we're trying to figure it out. See, there's so much more God wants to do in you, in this church, in this generation, but we're only connecting to a fraction of what God is. See, I think we want to pray. I think we want to. I think we know we need to, but we don't. Not really. So how do we go from intention to action? Well, Jesus responds to the question the disciples asked. When the disciples said, Lord, teach us how to pray, he responds, and he tells them exactly how to pray. And so we're going to go to that passage tonight in the book of Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to start in verse 15. Matthew 6, Matthew 6, verse 5, and go through 13. Verse 5, he says, and when you pray, so Jesus is speaking, and when you pray, do not be like the what? Hypocrites. Any of y'all know a hypocrite? Raise your hand if you know someone who's a hypocrite. Okay. How many of you are hypocrites? Raise your hand. Okay. If you did not raise your hand, let me help you. Like, turn to your neighbor and just tell them they're a hypocrite. Just tell them, because they are. Right? Okay, just your neighbor. I didn't say all the surrounding people. All right. Jesus says, we'll talk more about why we're all that in a minute. But Jesus says, do not be like the hypocrites. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners, to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, 
they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your father who is unseen. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Read this with me, this prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Have you ever heard that prayer? You ever heard that prayer, said that prayer? How many of you think it should say, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever? You think it is missing a line? It's not. That's actually never in the Bible. Did you know that? What? I know some of you are like, what? It's actually not. It got, it got added later on. Okay. So let's start at the beginning. Jesus starts with what not to do. When the disciples said, how do we pray? Teach us how to pray. He actually starts out with, well, first, let's establish some things. He says, don't be like the hypocrites. Hypocrites are someone that pretends to be someone they are not. Hypocrites are people that say they're going to do one thing and that they are one thing and then their actions show differently. The reason I say we all should turn to each other and say we're hypocrites is because um, I think that as believers, uh, unless we're literally doing 100% of what the Bible says, we have moments where we claim to be one thing and yet we do another, right? He says, but don't be like the hypocrites, and in that day, hypocrite and that word, when Jesus used that word, was a, was a word that was also often used to refer to actors who wore a mask, who would become a character in a play to put on a show. So Jesus is saying, don't put on the mask. Don't become a character. Don't be like the Pharisees who walk around on the street corners and go everywhere and they say, and they pray loud and they pray long so that everybody looks at them and goes, what a great prayer. They must know God. Jesus says, don't do that. So I'm going to give you a, sort of a bottom line truth today, and then I'm going to give you four steps to get there. So here's your bottom line truth for tonight. Real prayer requires the real you. Real prayer requires the real you. See, Jesus is always Jesus. God is always God. God never changes. He always has been and always will be. That's the beautiful thing about God is he is unconditional. He is never changing. He is always present. He is always real. It's us that tends not to bring the real us to him. And real prayer requires the real you. So how do you do that? I'm going to give you four stages tonight as to how you do that. Here's the first thing. In order to bring the real you, ready? This is a deep, profound theological thing I'm about to give you. Get your pencil ready. Get your pen ready. The first thing you have to do is cut the crap. <laughs> Write that down. And don't misspell it. <laughs> you got to cut the crap when you pray. If you want to say it more poetically, see, I put in parentheses for those of you that are like, I can't say that word. Okay, well, then pray authentically. Does that feel better? Pray authentically. Cut the crap. 
What do I mean? All right, men and women, just lean in for a minute. Listen. God cannot and will not bless who you pretend to be. He cannot and will not bless who you pretend to be. He cannot bless who you pretend to be because he knows the real you. He's wondering when you're going to bring the real you to him. He sees everything. In that passage, it says, the father who sees what is done in secret, he sees everything. He knows the real you. And I hope that we can receive that, not in a fearful way, but in a relieving kind of way. Y'all, he knows the real you. He's the God that you don't have to pretend with, that you don't have to put on a show for, that thinks you're extraordinary, that every day when you wake up, he smiles. When you bring you, he brings him. And it's a perfect father with his child coming together. But he cannot and will not bless who you pretend to be. It's like any relationship. A relationship is only as healthy as it is honest. No relationship is healthy if it is dishonest. So in a relationship with God, it works. And you go, well, he already knows. Why do I need to be all that honest if he already knows? Because it's a relationship. You can know someone's lying to you. Does it make it better? No. What's helpful is when they admit it. Right? When they confess it. When they ask forgiveness for it. When they want to repair the relationship. It's not that God doesn't know. He's longing to have you come to him and trust him enough with the real you. So many of you have had poor earthly fathers or you've had betraying sets of circumstances that have taken you down roads where it makes you hard to trust people because people, we offer such conditional love, don't we? As humans, we offer love that says, if you do or don't do this, then I am done with you. It is so hard for us to fathom that if we actually brought all of ourselves, the good, the bad, and the ugly, that God would still be there and think we were as wonderful but he does. But he does. And if we believed that, I mean, we can know that, but we don't know that. And if we knew that, we would bring the real self. You got to take the mask off. Um, I've heard people listen to people pray or will be in a group praying um, and sometimes I even ask people to pray out loud in a group, and often people are a little reticent to pray out loud, right? How many of you would be nervous if I came to you right now and said, I'd like you to pray out loud right now? How many of you would be like, what? Nope. Where's Kevin? Right? 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 That's exactly what would happen. Like, you know what, Heather? I feel like the Holy Spirit is just saying Kevin should pray, right? <laughs> It's so interesting to me that we do that. Um, 
well, I can't pray like them, or I don't know what to say, or my prayers aren't quite as eloquent or as powerful, or they don't sound as articulate or well thought out or well put together. Um, I, I just want to explain to you what you think you're seeing and then what you're actually seeing. Sometimes we think we're seeing someone that's just a good prayer. But what you're actually seeing is someone that has a relationship with God, and it works like any other relationship. You know, when you first uh, are interested in someone and you want to date them, right? So you, you maybe have a first conversation, or you ask them out, or you are asked out. It's, it's a little awkward, I mean, maybe you know what they're going to say, but maybe you don't. And so you kind of go, oh, this is a little awkward. You don't know each other very well. And so often you'll walk away and go, well, that was stupid. Why would I say that, right? <laughs> or you go, I wish I had done it differently, or I wish that I had said it differently, right? But then, you know, let's say you go out on that first date, and you're having the date, and you're learning about each other, and you're engaging in conversation, and it's still a little bit awkward, right? But you're past the asking part, so you're there. But you're learning about each other. Conversation is flowing. It's good. And you're like, all right, all right. When Jeff and I got done with our first date, it went really, really well. The conversation was flowing. But see, we didn't know each other before we went out with each other. Like, we hadn't been friends or anything. Like, from our first date to the day we got married was like 11 and a half months. I do not recommend it. Nonetheless, it happened. And we... But, like, so after our first day, you know, you have the awkward thing. Like, I don't know. I mean, we're going out again. I don't know if we're doing this thing. I mean, I don't know. I hate that, you know. It's awkward. This is not my notes, but I'll tell you this. So I hate that. I hate that. I hate not knowing, right? So we go up, my, and Jeff walks me to the door. And he, doesn't, he doesn't say, like, we're going to do this again or nothing like that. I'm like... <laughs> All right. So he walks back down to get in his car, and I'm thinking, I do not, I am too old. And I was 24. But I was like, I am too old to wait around to see if he's going to call me again. I'm not doing this. So I walked myself back down to his car. (laughs) Now, if you have him tell you the story he says he thinks I was coming back because I wanted to make out. Really? <laughs> really? I was like, you've got to be kidding me. He, when he tells the story, he's like, yeah, I was like, oh, yeah, here she comes. Once more, the Jeff Simple, right? Like, here she comes. Like, no. No. Men, right? Okay. So I... I go back down to the car, I open the car door, and I sit down, and I I can still see his face to this day. All big smiles, right? (laughs) And I go, I go, look, like, are we going to do this again or not? Because if we're not, that's fine. I just want to know. And and if we are, great. You should have said something. (laughs) And he was like, Oh my gosh. Yes, we're going to do this again. And like today, he tells a story. He, and some people go, oh my gosh, didn't, didn't that like turn you off? He goes, that was the best thing ever. He's like, this chick comes back to my car and already tells me she wants to do this again. Yes, I'm all in. But it's sort of that unknowing stage that just makes you feel a little insecure and awkward, isn't it? Then the relationship progresses. 
you know, you start dating. You're like, okay, we get to know each other. Things feel more normal. doesn't feel weird every time you see him. I mean, those kinds of things. And then, you know, as it continues to deepen, you know, and now, you know, Jeff and I are married, it's, it's not awkward. It's just not. We've been together 20 years, and it's just, it's normal. It's like breathing. It's the same way with God. When you start out in conversation, it's like, okay, so God, uh, and you just, you know, it's awkward. What do I say? I don't know. I heard somebody else say this, so I'm going to say this. And I heard him say, you're good. You're good. I mean, you just say things, right? But then the more you do it and the more you walk with him and the more you build a history with him, and the more you pray and you see him answer, and the more you're obedient, you see him speak. And the more you, the more you build the timeline, the more you recognize his voice until it actually gets to a place where you don't have to say anything. In fact, it can become so deep and so intimate that it's just reading each other's thoughts. That's how prayer works. So when you hear people pray and you think, well, I can't pray like that, you're not hearing like some professional prayer, right? You're hearing relationship. You're hearing time. You're hearing history. You're hearing practice. You're hearing discipline. Just be you and be honest. Real prayer requires the real you. Now, it's also true. I should say this. Prayer is not supposed to be your way of getting attention. I've also known people, you know, you ask them to pray and it's, oh, good and gracious father, where art thou? You know, it's just this like pontificating prayer and you don't even know what they're saying and you're pretty sure they don't know what they're saying. They're just saying words and things and they're going on and you're, you've lost track of, like, you're over here in left field. Everyone is. Nobody knows. It's also not meant to be your way of getting attention. You can't seek God's attention and the attention of others at the same time. Because, and this is the thing, too. When you're worried about how you sound when you pray, that's also you being consumed with other people's thoughts of you. Whether you think you're great at it or whether you think you don't know what to say, either way, being consumed with other people's thoughts of you is actually in opposition to the intent of prayer. Some of my favorite prayers to hear are from baby, brand new believers. That just in the purity of their new walk of faith, they just say stuff. It's like when my, when my kids started saying their first word. I didn't care what it was. I didn't care how it sounded. You know, when Judah went bubba, I didn't go, well, close, but not exactly. I mean, you don't, you don't do that, right? I pretended like I understood him. Yes, yeah, right? It's just the way it works with the Lord. Jesus told them, you should go in your closet and pray in secret. Why did he say that? Was he being literal? 
Was he being literally, when you pray, only pray when no one can see you. Only go away into a room and shut the door and let no one see you. Because how does that also go fall in line with where he says where two or three are gathered and are together in my name and there's power. So if you're supposed to pray together in groups, but then you're supposed to be alone to pray, how does that How does that seem to be congruent with each other? Because I think Jesus was speaking to the heart and not the behavior. I think Jesus was saying, especially to the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, oh, you who think that prayer is about impressing God, God isn't more or less impressed by anyone's prayer. Jesus doesn't stand up by the throne. And when someone prays, he doesn't call Peter and Paul over and go, guys, listen to this. This is awesome. This is the best prayer on the planet. I mean, that's not what happens. It's the voices, and it doesn't matter what it is. It doesn't matter to to Jesus, and it just sounds like music, I think. Scripture even refers to the prayer. In Revelation, it talks about the prayers of the people arising like incense from bowls, and that the, the aroma is pleasing to the Lord. Everything about us speaking to him pleases him. Real prayer requires the real you. So the first thing you got to do is cut the crap. The second thing you got to do is have a plan. Have a plan. Or pray intentionally is another way to say that. Have a plan. Cut the crap and then have a plan. Pray intentionally. While Jesus talked about what not to do, he also tells us what to do. Have a plan. And he gives a framework. He says, you know, go alone, be alone, um, pray to your Father in heaven. He talks about sort of a framework or a box. Because not planning to pray is planning not to pray. When you might think, well, Heather, you just said it has to be real, has to be authentic, it should be the real us. So how can we be authentic and real if you're also telling us to plan it? Planning it doesn't seem authentic and real. Just because it's planned doesn't make it non-authentic. Don't we plan to come here every Thursday? Absolutely. This is very real. We plan things that can be very, very real. There's a difference between scheduling something because you should and scheduling something because it's good. Right? There's a difference between obligation and commitment. So let me ask you a very question. Let me ask you a question. I was going to make it rhetorical. Let's just answer it out loud for fun. Do you pray more before or after something bad happens? After, right? Typically. Typically, we pray more after. We're like like storming the throne of God after. We're like bringing our friends in to pray. We're We're like, you know, texting and emailing, pray, 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 right, after something happens. And I wonder if we wouldn't have so much reactive prayer if we would have some proactive prayer. If we would come to God before, if we would plan to pray before, if we would actually pray all the time, that when the things come and when the things happen, we would so be changed by the prayer and the intimacy between God because prayer is really more about changing you than changing your circumstances. God is not a power to be used and abused. He's our Father in heaven. 
to have a relationship with and that intimacy and that peace and the changing and the transformation that occurs is what allows you to get through all of the valleys and the mountains that are going to follow. And it's easier to do it when you're proactive rather than reactive. To have a plan. Not just praying when the mood arises or when something painful or difficult happens. There's a quote by a guy named Richard Foster. Richard Foster has written a lot of books. I mean, they're not for the faint of heart. There's a lot of depth to them. And really anything Richard Foster's ever written is great. But he writes this quote about prayer. He says, we must never wait until we feel like praying before we pray. Prayer is like any other work. We may not feel like working, but once we have been at it for a bit, we begin to feel like working. For some reason, we let our feelings dictate everything. We let our feelings and our emotions dictate how we show up to all things in life. And if we don't feel like doing it, we think it's inauthentic then to do it. Well, I don't always feel like feeding my children. <laughs> I got to get up and cook dinner. I don't always feel like coming to work. I don't always feel like doing a lot of the things that I have a responsibility and a commitment to do. Does that mean that I don't do them? Does it mean that I don't love? No. I show up and I do it and it's fully authentic because I do bring myself in about five minutes in, I'm in. I'm glad I'm in. I'm glad I'm doing it. And so often the enemy, the devil who is real, by the way, will keep you and he targets your feelings. That's where he targets your feelings. Because he knows if he can get you to not feel like doing it, you won't and you will bail. But it's like anything else. You got to show up and you got to show up and you got to show up. And then there will be those days that you show up for your time with the Lord. I mean, I have days that I spend time with the Lord and I walk away and I go, I spent time with the Lord. I read my Bible and I prayed and I journaled and I did that. And then I have days when that's, I just want to stay in it. I just want to stay in that space. God's presence becomes so real, and I hear his voice so close, and it's those moments. And I would miss those moments. Because they often come on the days I didn't feel like showing up. They often come as like a breakthrough moment than I, when I least expect it. When you pray, have a time, have a place, have a plan. It sounds silly, but it's really true. I have a place in my house that I just where I always go. When I spend time with the Lord, I just always go there. My Bible's there, my journal's there. It's where I go and I sit there and it's comfortable and I like it there and so that's where I go. You pick a time, you pick a place, and then you have a plan. I'm going to give you a plan today on how to pray. All right. I'm going to give you this plan, but I want to be clear about it because 
you don't have to abide by this plan. This is not a plan that's in the Bible, okay? There's not, the words I'm going to give you, there's nowhere you can go where it says, God says you should pray in this order. I'm just going to suggest this to you because I actually use this as a guide for myself that you could use it as a guide and it might just perhaps add value to your prayer life. So I'm going to offer it to you and if you would ever want to use it in your own time with the Lord, you could. So it's really easy to remember. Okay. I start out with praise. I start out with praise. And why do I do that? Because typically we start out with requests, don't we? All right, Lord, here I am and here's everything I need. I start out with praise because sometimes by the time I get done with that, I don't have all the requests that I did. When I start out with this and I remember who he is, God, you are good and you are the comforter and you are holy and you are the forgiver and you are my savior. When I start doing that and I start taking my eyes off of everything that's around me horizontally and I just go vertical and I just look at the father and I just tell him how awesome he is, even when I don't necessarily believe it all the time, sometimes I tell him who I need him to be. Lord, you are, you are good. Honestly, I have to believe you are today. Or you are, God, you are the great healer. I'm choosing to believe that today. And I tell him who he is. And then when I get to the next part of my prayer, which, by the way, is repent. I'm a little closer. I repent. We're going to get to ask. I repent first. Because often by the time I praised him and repented and asked forgiveness of my sins, this is about to be a real small list. Repent means to turn from sin. So I go before God and I go, you know what, Lord, here's some things I know happened. I know I said this. I know I did this. I know I felt this in my soul this week, and I know that's dark, and I know that's not right. I I mean, there are things we know, and then sometimes there are things we don't know, and I'll say, Lord, would you reveal to me anything that I'm just not seeing? What am I not seeing? There are just some things we don't see about ourselves, and God will reveal things like, well, actually, Heather, that's pride. Actually, You said that because you've got anger that you haven't let go of. You've got unforgiveness. I mean, he'll start to reveal those things. When you praise him for who he is, repent and ask forgiveness, and he will forgive, and then ask. And then take him all those things that have been weighing on your heart and on your soul. And ask. And and I would say, like, like, ask boldly, right? Ask boldly. He already knows your heart. He already knows what's in it. You might as well say it. Real prayer takes the real you. So just ask him. Bring it to him. And then finally, yield. At the end of it all, I yield to whatever God wants. At the end of it all, I got to surrender to his will. At the end of it all, I got to go, Lord, and whatever this is that's not in alignment with you, I just yield that to you. I just surrender that to you. I give that to you. 
you cut the crop, you have a plan, and then three, you got to know your place. Know your place. Pray positionally. Know your place. All right. More than once in that passage, Jesus refers to the Father. The Father sees what is done in secret. Pray to your Father. Our Father who art in heaven, he understands who he is and who the Father is. He understood that he was the Son of God. So when you pray to the Father as a confident son or daughter would that's in a healthy relationship with a parent, you're praying positionally and you know your place. You know you're his child and he's your perfect father and you understand that that's the relationship and that's the position. That he is God and you are not. Right? And to apply the qualities of being a child to your prayers. Our pastor, Kevin Myers, often says he goes and prays like a boy so he can fight like a man. To bring childlike qualities to your prayer life. I was trying to think about how to explain this, and um, I can't help it because I have three children. It goes, I go to the things that, what do my children do when they come to me and Jeff? How do they approach us? Well, I thought of a couple of things to write these down. They assume we're interested, right? They never wonder, ever, if Jeff and I want to hear what they have to say. Never in their whole life have they wondered. I mean, when they're, you know, four years old, five years old, and they're telling me they had carrots for a snack and... You know, that they like the color blue, but they don't think they're going to wear blue, so they might wear light blue, and mom, where's my blue socks? And mom, I can't find my shoes, and you know, then I want some apples, mom, and actually some cookies. They assume I am fully interested in all of this. It never occurs to them that I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, hmm, Uh uh-huh. I mean, it never occurs to them that my mind is elsewhere. When you approach the Father in heaven, Assume he's interested because when my kids come to me, I am. And when they're little and they're just talking and they're just, you know, I don't even know half the words they're saying and I loved every minute of it. It's just the sound of their voices. And now that they're teenagers, I really love it when they talk to me. Right? I don't care. I don't care what they say. I don't care if it's bad, good. I don't care. I just want to hear them talk. I am fully interested. I am interested in every detail, in every moment, and they never wonder that. See, when you're a child in a healthy relationship with a parent, you can assume that the parent is always interested. And I know not all of you have. Some of you are like, I never had that story. I don't have that story. I get that. But what you do have is a perfect heavenly father who wants to hear every word you have to say. He wants to hear every word you have to say. There's nothing you could say that he's not interested in. In fact, he reads your heart and your mind, and he wants, he's like, why won't you just tell me? I just want to hear you talk to me. So my kids assume my interest. Here's what they also assume. They assume my understanding. They assume that when they say things to me, I will understand everything they say. So when they were three years old or two years old, and it just was like, garbled, like, ooh, God, God. I mean, they were just, you know, no, no, no idea what they were saying. Like, we would literally respond to them as if we knew. 
we say, yes, I know. That's right. Have you ever talked to a baby and they, and they start making sounds and you're like, I know, I know. You're like, yes, I know. He's talking to me, right? Like little kids, they like talk and you have no idea what they're saying. You know, they're laughing and you assume they're laughing at me. I mean, this is what we do. We assume. My kids assume I understand everything. You can go to the perfect heavenly father and just know he understands everything. Whether or not you say it perfectly or imperfectly or you don't get it all out or you don't even know what you mean. Sometimes I go, I don't know what else to say. But you just read my heart because I don't have words for it. And I just know he understands. Here's another thing. My kids also assume my provision. My kids trust that I will take care of them no matter what. They have no idea what it's taken to do such things. They think food just happens. And the roof over their head just happens. The clothes just happen. It, we had, a couple weeks ago, all of a sudden, all these packages were starting to be delivered to our house. Of Star Wars paraphernalia. Uh-huh. $500 worth. <laughs> Halloween costumes. Legos. Judah had gotten onto the Amazon app and just kept clicking purchase. Y'all want to meet Judah, don't you? After some... And when we go, and we're like, first I text Jeff, are you ordering $500 of Star Wars stuff? Can you help me understand? He's like, uh, no, but awesome. But, you know. <laughs> and we go to Judah, and Judah's like, yeah. I go, he doesn't even, it's like he doesn't even know why you'd be in trouble. I'm like, buddy, what are you doing? He's like, I saw it, and I wanted it. And I was like, you can't, what? No. Like, I don't know. No. I'm just, and he's like, well, can you just buy it? <laughs> can I just buy it? Like, my kids have no idea, like, what is required, what it takes to be able to do something that, here's the question. Could we, at this stage in our life, buy that for Judah? Absolutely. Are we going to? No. It's not what's best for that kid. <laughs> my oldest, my 16-year-old daughter, she tur- uh, she'll get her license in November. And uh, we have asked her to save up a certain amount, $1,000, that's it, to go towards a car. That's all. Then her father and I were going to help her. She comes to me the other day. She's like, hey, Mom, you know that $1,000? I go, yeah. She goes, can't you, all, can't you just buy the whole thing? I'm failing as a parent. Um, I said, no. No. I said, baby, you know how much $1,000 will buy you? What kind of car that will buy you? It will buy you, like, tires. <laughs> That's what it will buy you. Uh-huh. That's what it will buy you. So, yeah, we're going to be helping you, but you are also going to be responsible and have a sense of commitment. See, I'm telling you, like, they just think things happen. 
they just see things. They go, well, mom and dad, I saw them do this. I think they're able to do this. I think they're able to do this, so why wouldn't they do that? But see, here's what I want to say to you. Go to the father and assume his provision. He is capable of all things, and he will say yes to the things that are good and no to the things that are bad, but he's capable of all. When you approach in childlikeness, you assume his interest, and you assume his provision, and you assume his understanding. You approach him like a kid, and then you trust him as a perfect father. Because real prayer requires the real you. No matter the yes or no. And all the bad, all the no's of God. The bad in this world will never stop or end until Jesus comes back. Do you know that? Bad things are just going to happen. Hard things are just going to happen because there's sin in this world. And when Jesus returns, he's going to make it all better. But until then, it will remain. Now, I, my mom's here tonight. My mom, she's in the back. Say hi, mom. Um, I'll come to you. And I asked her today, earlier today, because I knew she was going to come tonight. And I said, Mom, we're talking about prayer. We're... Um, in the second week of prayer, and we're talking about kind of practical things, you know, having a prayer life and making a plan and being yourself and, and what God is capable of, like approaching him like a, um, like a child, really. And I said, and I want to touch on what happens when you do approach him like a child to a perfect father, and his answer is no. When you do everything we're talking about, right, you do all of this. And then you keep doing it and you think you're doing all the right things. And then somehow it feels like God doesn't answer your prayer and God isn't doing what you want him to do. So if you don't know, and I've shared this here, I don't know how recently it was, but my mom currently has fourth stage um, cancer and it's in her lungs. And um, we've been praying for healing for a long time. And... You know, I shared a story last week of a woman in our church who got healed, right? I don't know why God healed her. And as of yet, hasn't chosen to heal my mom. But I asked her if she would answer a couple questions. Okay. Isn't she wonderful? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> She's great. She was a middle school teacher. Mm. Okay. So bless you, right? Um, so, um, mom, I wanted you to, I wanted you to talk as someone that at this point you have cancer, you're in treatment and God has not chosen to heal, even though I don't know how many people have been praying hundreds and yeah, we have, we've been in the ministry most of our lives and got a lot of people praying and I keep thinking sometimes God's going to get tired of hearing my name because people have been praying for me for so long. Um, I have uh, stage four leomyosarcoma, which is a very unusual cancer. Not very many people have it. One or two people in like two million cancer patients. So they don't really know a lot about it. Um, but um, 
God is good, and, and that's one of the things we're talking about this afternoon. We've prayed for healing for me on a lot of issues. I have side effects from, the, from radiation and the cancer itself. And up to this point, I'm stable. It, it wasn't growing or isn't growing. I get more tests in October to see if it started up again. But it's not going away. And so people ask me, well, is God good? And my answer is yes. Because um, whether he decides to heal me or not, I'm okay. Because I, if I don't get healed and I die, I get heaven. I'm ready for that. I know him. He knows my name. And so he can choose to heal me here, and I'll live a little bit longer, but then I'll end up dying if he doesn't come back again. See, a lot of people want all the healing, but if we all got healed for everything, then nobody would ever die, right? Even Lazarus in the Bible who was healed, Jesus healed him. He eventually died. And so unless Jesus comes back again, um, I'm going to die, but so are you. <laughs> That's a big uh, hallelujah, isn't it? Um, but, you know, it, it is as it is. It is what it is. Um, so how do you, like, so today we were talking, and she was like, Heather, she's like, what if I have this, and it's because my four doctors need Jesus, and they would get saved. And I go, I said, I don't care. <laughs> I mean, I want to say that I care, right? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's worth losing my mother so these four people can be saved. Can't God save them another way? Like, does it have to be through this journey? I don't, well, I don't know what to say about that. I want to sound, I want to be more spiritual than that. But I just, that was my honest answer. And so, um, like, what do you say to the people around you? Like, I, I asked her, I was like, what do, you, what do you say to me? Like, what do you want me to know? I say that this life, this one right here on earth, won't last forever. None of us know how long we're going to live. None of us know that. But what we can know is that you and I can see each other again. If I died tomorrow or 10 years from now or 20, one day we will see each other again in heaven. And that is comforting to me. That's comforting to me. And um, I, my dad died a few years ago, and he died a terrible death, a painful death. And I struggled so with the manner in which he died. And, and um, it seems to me like sometimes at the end of life, have you ever seen older people that they are just, they're suffering so with whatever disease it is? I think it's because the devil fights to get us to give up on God um, so hard, even to the very end. And so my, my advice is never give up. Know that God is good all the time. And his goodness, my cancer does not change his goodness. He is aware of me. He sees me. He's given me miracles throughout this journey the doctor that I have I accidentally found we lived in Indiana 
we live in Indiana, and I, I called up a hospital in Indianapolis. And I said, this is the cancer I've got. Do you have a doctor? <laughs> they said, well, we'll meet and we'll decide which doctor you should see. The doctor they gave me is the only sarcoma specialist in a four or five state area. I didn't know that, but God led me to him. And God brings a peace that passes all understanding. And you won't have it yet. You won't get that, that peace and that comfort until we really need it. But he brings it when you really need it. Why would he give it to us ahead of time? So if, if I die soon, then God would give my family, my daughter, my husband, my son, my grandchildren, peace and comfort. And then they can sit around talking about all the stupid things that, that I did and laugh and um, all those kinds of things and find comfort in each other. And so death is a result of sin in the garden. We just have to face that, and we get sick. And that's it. So there's, I mean, I know, like we have, there are people in this room who have people they love that are um, dying, that have been diagnosed, or they have people they love that they've been praying for for different things, and God hasn't answered. Yeah, there are people who have been praying for salvation of people they love and have been praying for, um, you know, all, just all kinds of things. And, have, and those things have yet to be realized, not just sickness, but a lot of things have yet to be realized. So what do you say to them? Well, one thing is God didn't give up on me. He pursued me until I gave, gave in to him and accepted him as my Savior and Lord. And he's walking with this. He promised to walk this journey with me. If you're praying for someone, don't stop. I don't know if she's told you all of her story yet, but I prayed for her for years. And God has answered my prayers miraculously over, to, over anything I could ever have imagined. Don't stop praying. God hears them. And he's putting things in motion that you don't even know about. Um, will he heal everyone you pray for? Maybe not on this side of heaven. Um, one thing that I've learned, I think one of the nuggets that I've learned through all this, we had a friend, his name was Dr. Wayne Caldwell. He was a um, Bible teacher in the, at Indiana Wesleyan University when we went to school. And he was a great, he's a wonderful man, good teacher, and he went blind. He had to have his teacher's assistants uh, read the papers that the kids wrote, and he had to have somebody help him. He couldn't write stuff on the chalkboard. And he's, it was devastating that this learned man now was blind. And he preached a sermon in church one night, and the title was, Why Not Me? And I have to say, if other people get cancer, who am I to think that I shouldn't? I'm not that special. And so sometimes God wants to use those maladies, painful things, illnesses, all kinds of things. And he will use those for his glory to teach us, to reach others. I know Jesus more now than I did when I got, first got cancer. I've had to rely on him 
totally for a variety of things. Um, and and he's, he's good even if he doesn't take this cancer away. That doesn't change who he is. And he promised me he'd walk this journey with me. I don't know what God will do with my mom. I can tell you what, though. I'm going to keep praying. I can tell you that. I can tell you that I'm going to keep going before the throne, begging God. Absolutely. Absolutely, I'm going to keep asking. Absolutely, I'm going to keep praying. Absolutely. And I'm going to trust that on the other side of it, no matter what it is, and believe that he is good. Fourth thing and last thing, never stop. Never stop praying. Never stop. I'm going to have the band come on up. Never stop praying. Ephesians 6.18 says pray at all times. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says pray without ceasing. Pray all the time. Well, how do you pray all the time? When you, when you, when you make a plan to pray and you're deliberate about praying and you begin to build a habit, you'll find yourself just praying all the time. I will pray in my mind simultaneously while I'm talking and saying other words out of my mouth. I enter a room and I'm internally praying. I have conversations with people, and while I'm talking to them, I'm praying. Most of the time, every time, actually, I'm talking with one of you, I am in my mind asking the Holy Spirit to help me know what to say and not to say. All the time. When prayer becomes something that's just a part of your life, when, you're, when you've learned this and it just becomes so much inside your spiritual DNA, it just is something that gets birthed out of you. It just begins to happen. And when you work your way through this, when I, when I get to the asking boldly, I can easy, more easily get to the yielding because I prayed, praised him and I've repented and my heart is more aligned with his. Sometimes I feel like, you know, prayer is not this. When you talk about a topic for a sermon or a topic for a conversation, prayer isn't like the sexy topic that people want to talk about. It's the thing we should talk about, but it's not like the thing, you know. Nothing, nothing. Is going to happen in you or through you without prayer. None of the patterns of sin, none of the callings that you believe God has placed on your life, the bold prayer, those things, like they don't, they don't just happen. You will be limited to whatever you can do without prayer. Whatever you can do, go for it. And then at your limit, it will stop. Your relationships will only go as deep as your prayer life. Your success will only go as high as your gift and talent. 
Your character will only run as deep as you have the ability to manage sin. I wish that I'd believed that earlier in life. I wish that I'd practiced even though I felt stupid. I wish that I had prayed more boldly. I wish that I had learned this earlier, but I've learned it now. I know I wouldn't be alive physically, literally, if my mother had not prayed for me. I know that I would be divorced if I hadn't prayed. I know that I would not be in ministry if people hadn't prayed for me. I know that I would still be addicted if people hadn't prayed for me. I know that I would still be angry if I hadn't prayed. I just know that. You have to know that. And I can't make you know that. It's only something you can experience. I'd like to lead us through a few minutes of walking through these on your own. I'll direct you as we go. And then we're going to end in some worship. But as I walk you through these, what I would like for you to try and keep in the forefront of your mind is that real prayer requires the real you. So this isn't a time for you to like talk to God the way you think he wants you to or to say what you think you should. In fact, for some of you, this might be the first time you ever actually got real with God in your life. This might be the first time you ever actually got honest with him. This might be the first time you've ever actually praised him on your own. That's not a worship song. This might actually be the first time you've said some of the things that you're about to say. But in everything you're about to say, don't forget. He wants to hear it. He will understand it. And he can provide for it. It's who he is. So I want you to take a posture of prayer, whatever that, whatever that needs to be for you. You can kneel at your seat. You can just sit. You can make a space up here. You can go somewhere else in the room. It does not matter at all. But create a space where you can, as much as you can, avoid distraction. And I want you to start in your prayer time and I just want you to praise God. I just want you to tell him who he is. If you're not sure what to say, you just tell him who you need him to be. Maybe God, you are able to fix everything. (laughs) Maybe it's God, you are my provider. Maybe it is God, you are the healer. Maybe it's God, you are good, even though I just don't see it. You are good, I choose it. Maybe it's God, you forgive.
Maybe you just want to go back to the moment of your salvation and thank him that he saved you. Maybe you want to say thank you for saving me when I was just a sinner and so far gone. Just praise him, just tell him. Try and imagine what he looks like if you want, I do. Try and imagine what a picture of him would look like and just look at him. Just close your eyes and look at him and let him look at you. Some of you need to get a picture of him sitting on his throne and you need to envision yourself crawling up on his lap. To crawl up on the lap of Jesus, the King of Kings. Just visualize that, imagine that. Just thank him that you get to do that. And while you're up there on his lap, it'd be a good time for you to repent. It'd be a good time for you to confess the things that you hold in your spirit and your soul and your mind that you know are not okay. They are not what he wants for you. Maybe it's the known sins and then it's the not so known sins. It's the secret things. Just get it all out. Even asking him to reveal what you don't see. Ask him to reveal what you don't see, what you don't know. If you've never given your life to Jesus, if you don't even know if you're a Christian, if you've never ask him to forgive your sins. If you've never acknowledged that he died for you, you could do that right now and just tell him. Now just ask him, ask him for the things that are weighing on your heart. Bring anything you want to him, anything. Nothing too small, nothing too big, nothing too hard for him. Maybe you've prayed for something so much you feel like you're out of words and you just gotta tell him, you gotta go, look, I'm done. I'm tired of asking, Lord, you know what I want. I've been asking for so long, for so long. 
for so, so long. And now comes what I think is often the hardest part where you yield, you yield to him. You surrender to his will. You say the words that Jesus said, not my will, but yours be done. And I will trust you in the valley and I will trust you in the dark and I will trust you on the mountains. I will trust you in the healing. I will trust you if you choose not to heal. I yield to you. I surrender to you. And if you don't feel it, still say it. Some days you got to choose it. Some days you got to choose it. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Jesus at the center of it all. Jesus at the center of it all. From beginning to the end, it will always be, it's always been you, Jesus. Oh, Jesus, there's nothing else Say hey. 
Just give God some praise. 